Hello and welcome Hello and welcome to Cruising Through Doomsday, a podcast about Doctor Who Doomsday, a transmedia experience. I'm Philip Whelan. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. My name is Georgia Harper. My pronouns are she and her. And yes, the Bastille reference in the title uh, was my idea. Uh, Our guest on this episode uh, is writer and world expert on the rings of Akaten, uh, William Shaw. Uh, hello, well, everyone. How are you doing? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name's William Shaw. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm, I'm recovering from quite a nasty cold, so, uh, but, and so oh, I spent, sorry to hear that. spent a lot of the last few days just in bed reading Doctor Who Extraction Point, which uh, uh, is a very odd feeling, <laughs> so, which mm. I think we'll get into. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get into later about... Uh, how how that has affected your your cold experience um but while we're on the subject of pronouns i did want to address an interesting thing that happened around the promotional material for this novel up until i think release day if not very shortly before this novel came out on uh 10th of august um the penguin pre-order page for this novel used the following blurb the finest time-travelling assassin in the cosmos is running scared. Doom's own death is coming for him in a matter of hours. And the only person in the universe who might just be able to save him is the Doctor. So long as it's the right Doctor. This was used alongside the final cover showing Suze Kempner. Um, I think Penguin did correct it, um, but... A number of the bookshops' uh, websites that we looked at, you know, kind of the major ones were still using uh, a blurb with he, him pronouns, presumably having got that from Penguin. That to me says kind of two things. A, Doom was potentially written as like default male and then they either chose to do open casting or specifically chose to cast Suits Kempner. And B, nobody bothered to tell one of the major commercial partners. Mm. Um, fortunately, that was the only case of a, a very weird, strange mistake that's wound up uh, in in this novel. So that's good. Yeah, the, uh, the only case. Yes. <laughs> um, so, well, um, I guess before we get into the novel itself, um, we have been following Doomsday um, for for our sins uh, this this whole time doing the podcast. Um, my understanding is that you've kind of this is your first Doomsday experience short of the trailers and so on. So I guess it would be good to hear a bit more about what your impressions have been. Um, well, I, I, I do know a little bit more than that. So I did go and read mm-hmm. uh, Hour One uh, in preparation for this. Um, and then I, I have heard um, your podcast about it. So I do have... Mm. I do <laughs> Thanks to Hour One, I do know that Doom is an assassin with like an unhelpful boss. And thanks to your podcast, I know that... 
I have like quite a vague impression that like there were autons and a unicorn and chameleon was there and it cost you like a hundred pounds <laughs> to find out that it was chameleon or something. And so... I mean, it might have done if, yeah. if not for some kind people on Twitter. If, yes. you, if you can, if you can put a price on psychic damage. Um, while we're on, uh, while we're on cost, um, this novel, uh, Doctor Who Extraction Point by M. G. Harris. I got um, the physical version, which is what we've been doing uh, throughout this podcast. Um, Philip uh, got a digital version, as I think did you, Will. Um, The physical copy cost um, £12.99, plus a little bit of extra psychic damage, um, because Philip tried to pre-order it in person, didn't you? Yes. So I, you know, I I was... uh, That that was back when uh, Georgia was still living in London. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I was uh, coming up to hers uh, on on the train, and we were just coming through uh, Westfield Stratford, and I, I had an entirely reasonable idea to go into the foils that we all we were just literally passing by. And this was where we were planning to purchase the book. Yes, it was I, my nearest book. So I, I went in there and asked a very reasonable question of, "Hey, are you going to be carrying this book <laughs> when it launches?" Well, the thing is, I I was just quite anxious about this because I was like, well, what if what if they aren't, and what if they're mad at us, and what if we're putting on some poor innocent shop worker who has enough to deal with? So I had to stand outside the shop while Philip did this, and long story short, it was just as well we did that because they won actually stocking it, but ordered a copy in for yes. us, which I picked up uh, on on release day. So this brings the running total cost uh, of Doomsday so far to £33.43, pence, plus the psychic damage from playing Lost in Time, plus the psychic damage of the realisation of how many everyday social interactions I avoid that would otherwise benefit me. Um, so uh, uh, not, not quite as, as dear as it could have been, but a fair amount of, of psychic damage. Mm. Uh-huh. Yes. I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, yeah, I did I did I I have also just come back from a holiday in the UK, and I did go to multiple bookshops in the UK, uh, and they didn't have it, so it's you did well to pre-order it. So I uh, I bought the digital edition uh, from the US, which cost me uh, eleven dollars, I think. I don't know what the exchange rate is at the moment, mm. but uh, I mean at this point, probably eleven pounds. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is we are uh, for listeners in the future. Um, Liz Truss was Prime Minister last year, so. Uh, <laughs> and her long-term plan to bring down the cost of Doctor Who merchandise in non-UK territories <laughs> has gone swimmingly. Maybe she was uh, one of the Slidine family, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the first Slidine Prime Minister now, would it? You know? That's true, that's true. <laughs> um, before we move on... Um, to the novel itself. We should talk about the trailer videos because I'm very conscious that essentially uh, there were some more trailer videos that came out for Lost in Time and we just kind of forgot to cover it uh, because we were we had so much to rant about that game. Um, so, Will, I assume you've seen some of the trailer videos. To be honest, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Right, yes. I think I saw the one for this book, which is like she's Mm -hmm. looking at her vortex manipulator and it's like, oh, Satellite 5, what could possibly go wrong? And then there's like a skull and crossbones or something. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, um, the cheap shot of these trailers, which I think a lot of people have made by now, is that they are like sort of uh, like a YouTube, like an Alistair Beckett King sort of thing, but like 
with less good jokes, um, which I feel a bit sad about. But um, yeah, I don't really understand the yeah, I don't really understand the point of the trailers beyond you know letting Suze Kempner be be charming for like a minute. I mean, that's basically it, yeah. right? Because up until now. Um, at the time of recording, one of the audios has just been released. Uh, we haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Um, but up until this point, Suze Kempner hasn't actually been given the chance to actually act. So the trailer videos are at least giving her something to do. Um, yes. I am looking forward to hearing her in action properly in the audios. Yeah, it does seem an odd move to sort of to essentially try and anchor this all on Suze Kempner's star power. And then I think the first... What, four or five pieces of media are all books and comics and things which don't really have her in them. Well, we're now on episode six, uh, which is uh, the Extraction Point novel. Um, then there is the Lost in Time event, which, um, yeah, basically what's happened is I've just moved out. So uh, I've just moved house. So we're recording like a load of podcasts together, uh, but the Lost in Time event has happened. Yes. Um, and then after that, so we're on like the eighth piece of media out <laughs> of 10 or 11 um, is yeah. the audio. Right. What, what, I want to, what I want to kind of make a note of here is the scheduling of these seems a little strange because it, it, it seemed to me like if you want to do like a big thing out of it you you want to sort of have a somewhat strict schedule of okay maybe a new piece of media every week every two weeks but instead we get this whole thing of there's some up front then there's you know three weeks of not much at all and then everything else seems to be releasing right now within the space of actually yeah about a week yeah it is odd i there's there's a lot about this uh just on the strength of just this book, there's a lot about this event that I don't really get, and there's stuff that I have questions for you two about. But uh, mm, I have things okay. that I think even you two might uh, might draw a blank about. Um, so um, this um, novel covers, I think, eleven o'clock to two o'clock. Um, yes. Or like, well, eleven so. o'clock to like the hour that begins at two o'clock. It's slightly confusingly worded because the chapters are fourteen, thirteen, twelve, eleven hours to go, which is not the way that um, the other media have counted this. Um, so yeah, we open at eleven a.m., uh, fourteen hours to go in Dooms's day slash life, and uh, she has to recreate a previous elaborate ski incident um i will say and this is kind of my main takeaway from the book i was i enjoyed it for the most part it's really nice to have doom's first person perspective finally yes notably absent from the phone game <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know how you'd fit in the the Doom's perspective in the phone game, but uh, yeah, but there's no nobody's perspective no. is in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that um, uh, I do have s some fundamental questions about Doom as a character, but like uh, certainly uh, there's. I, I was surprised going into it how little of the Doctor is in it, and I know that there are two of them, but like this is very much. Is very much a doom novel that the doctor mm -hmm. or the doctors happen to happen to be sort of cameoing, and which is quite nice. Um, and so it's this kind of James Bond or more like uh, you know 
probably showing my age here, it's more like an Alex Ryder type, you know, thriller. Uh, mm. And there's even the 24 element to it as well. But I think yeah. I have a question about yeah. Doom as a character, and maybe the two of you can, mm-hmm. can sort of help me out here, is um, to what extent are we meant to be taking Doom seriously? Because I feel like the book sort of sort of simultaneously she's like this brilliant hyper competent assassin yeah. and she's someone who's maybe a bit rubbish at it so i think the the actual job of being an assassin that she has she's good at specific kinds of assassinations uh i think she mentioned it in in uh in the text of a novel in in her internal monologue um that she prefers sort of stealthy poison in, in their in their tea kind of assassinations. She's not used to the all action type of stuff that seems to be thrust upon her into mm-hmm. uh into this novel and into the whole doomsday concept. I think um in uh in the Doctor Hugh magazine piece that accompanied uh the four hours of Doomsday supplement, um I've been working on podcast transcriptions, so that's in my head. Um Suze Kempner talks about the fact that Doom it's almost because she's so unassuming that is what makes her a good assassin, sort of precisely because people don't see her as a threat. Um, So that's the kind of... That's her take on the role and I guess the kind of in-universe take on the role. Um, My take so far as a reader um, is that we haven't had much of Doom as a character because the media we've had up until this point has been so compressed that it is literally just Doom meets the Doctor or another important character and goes to next location. I actually thought, like, having followed the series, I was actually very relieved that the Doctor isn't in this very much because that is one of the big drawbacks, I think, of the series so far. They they are... uh, Yeah, M.G. Harris is definitely quite economical with with, uh, the use of the Doctor here. Um, What I would say is that the the last sort of actual story that that we've had in in this series was the titan comics um with and missy. If, yeah with missy very good um and that was a two-parter as well so it's like they had more time yeah. to do a sort of overarching story yeah it's interesting that you think this that, that you uh, uh sort of observed that it's been very compressed up to now because i still find i found this novel quite compressed i was a little That's bit like this is this is four different plots and sort of we're kind of I, I do think the novel feels a bit crammed and a bit sort of uh there's like three or four ideas and like one or two of them would have made i would have been satisfied with but can i also ask is um because i do think there's like uh, or maybe am I just imagining this or is there an element of sort of uh, redemption arc for Doom because I feel like the narrative mm. often or not often but like noticeably there are a few instances when Doom is like seems very guilty or seems conflicted about yeah. about being an assassin so it's like is the driving force of the story being that by interacting with the Doctor Doom is going to sort of see the error of her ways and stop being an assassin I'm I'm not sure if I would call it the driving force of the story yet. That that is certainly, you know, one way this could go. I would say that one of the challenges of writing this story for the kind of young audience that it's aimed at is like making Doom a likable protagonist uh that you want to like root for, but also she's an assassin who murders people for money. Yeah. And there's been a lot of like 
Well, you know, there was the whole thing where she had to kill the idea of a unicorn and there's a few things where it's like, you know, this this is not an ethics podcast, but like <laughs> there have been a few there have been a few that are kind of arguably mercy killings or that there's at least an argument for like she is being a good person here. I think this, because you have got the internal monologue there, yeah. goes dives a bit more into this. And I think it's an interesting I do hope they do more with it. Yeah, I actually um I have a I have a quote here from quite early on in, in the in the book. She was no extremist, but she had her pride. In a universe where assassination was an unfortunate necessity, the order, so the lesser order of Oberon's principle of efficiently, justly, quickly dispatching a target struck her as objectively good. I, I think I think the whole series is, I don't know if it's conscious or not, it's, uh, it's grappling with the question of if you can make an assassin a hero, or at least not an outright villain. Yeah, I suppose throwing her up against the Slovene is sort of useful in that, in terms of uh, having some contrast. Um, so yeah. do we want to get into the plot? Because the plot I find sort of oddly fascinating, but also baffling. You know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. so I, I think very much the, the, the whole first part of the book, the, the whole um, time that, that she was on, on the uh, sort of, you know, skiing resort thing, that was basically one giant action scene. I would not mind seeing that on film in IMAX, <laughs> but it was basically just a giant action scene where, you know, she does some skiing hijinks, the James Bond theme plays in the background. <laughs> Um, she shoots at some androids. Ah, uh, but um, Philip, you're forgetting yeah. the the amazing reveal, which was the point at which I just yes. scratched my head, which is that the Kraals have been behind this all along, and that this was a stealth remake of the Android Invasion. <laughs> yeah, we, we've spoken about this a little bit um, ahead of time, um, but one thing that's kind of come up as, as a general theme, I'm sure we'll get to it again, um, particularly towards the end of the novel, um, but this is, on the one hand, quite clearly aimed at sort of children, at a younger audience. Um, the Doctor Who magazine feature talks about it as a potential jumping on point and compares it to the Sarah Jane adventures in that regard. But also, there are some deep cuts here. And through, like, to be honest with you, you know, I consider myself far too unhealthily obsessed with Doctor Who, but... To be honest with you, there were a few things, Will, that you had pointed out as you were reading along that I that had gone completely over my head and that I had yeah. to look up. So, like, there's a real question over who is this for? Yeah, that's I do have that just written in my notes in big letters is who is this for? Because I, I do think I do think the idea of uh, you know, sort of a, a jumping on point for younger fans, great. I'm all I'm all in favour of that. But why anchor it so heavily to, you know, uh, a series of television that's nearly 20 years old, which because a lot of this rests on Christopher Eccleston sort of nostalgia. And a lot, a lot of the target audience for this wouldn't remember Christopher Eccleston, never mind the crowd. Yes, yeah. let alone Patrick Troughton, like the second Doctor shows up 
It's specifically the season six B. Season six B. I was very excited. I did pick up on that, and I was very excited about yeah, it. Just, it's weird. It's like the second thing he says says, "I'm here on agency business," and I'm like, "Oh, fantastic!" So, um, MG MG Harris is commissioned to write a Doctor Who novel, and her first thought is, "I must make season six B canon." I, I get it. I get it. I mean, we've all been there, but like, yeah, I do yeah. find it odd. I don't know what a, a hypothetical 10-year-old is supposed to do. And maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe, like, 10-year-olds these days will just, like, see that and, and like, go straight to TARDIS Wiki or something. But uh, it is, yeah, I was a little bit, I was a little bit confused by that. And uh, yeah. the one particular deep cut I, no- I noticed, which was, I was amazed anyone was doing this in 2023, was uh, the, the, the Ninth Doctor in, I think it's part I think it's the start of part four. Anyway, it's when they go to Starbucks and he says that, um, oh, the last time I saw the Slovene, it was on a prison planet, which is a reference to The Monsters Inside, which is a novel from 2005 that I assumed no one else remembered or cared about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So as as someone someone who's not particularly well-versed in in Classic Who, um, I, yeah... Uh, the, the appearance of of classic doctors uh, in in this sort of media, obviously, you know, I'm aware that they existed, uh, but I don't necessarily have the context and the background on on things like uh, when when the second doctor said that he's there on agency business. I I think they could have perhaps um, gone with the division because that's a much more recent iteration of that idea. Oh, so had like. The fugitive doctor in the place of Patrick yeah. Troughton. That might have been that might have been more interesting. That might also have tied into something that a child could hypothetically have seen on television in living memory. Yeah. But um, I do think, <laughs> and I but I do wonder if that's. I wonder if there's some detail because the books, for some reason, have just completely backed off the Thirteenth Doctor. So I wonder what what that sort of maybe it's an outgrowth of that. I assume what's happened there is. Because there are lots of different, obviously, commercial partners in this, I assume they have all been assigned different doctors. So 13 did appear in uh, the phone game, sort of. Did Uh, she, she though? She was was actually chameleon. (laughs) So that's an interesting point, uh, because one thing thing that I I will say uh, that I liked about this novel, um, and certainly would have been helpful uh, for recording this podcast is that it does give you, I think, all the context you need uh, to read this standalone. And there's a point quite early on where it basically railroads you through the story so far. Right, yeah. Which is interesting because the novel um, explicitly states in that section that Doom so far has met, since the events of New Venice, Doom has met two further regenerations of the Doctor, which she hasn't. Oh. So far, she's met... She's met the sixth Doctor. Mm-hmm. It was in DWM. Yeah. She's met Missy pretending to be the most Doctor to ever who. Mm-hmm. And she met 13 in the phone game, but that turned out to actually be Chameleon. Oh. Now, I assume, I assume, to be fair, MG Harris was probably not told all the intricate details of the phone game. <laughs> and indeed, something that's come up through the transcription, um, something that's come up through the transcription um, project is... At the time that we recorded the podcast for hour one and we went through the TARDIS wiki at that point, um, AI and the Doctor, which is the phone game event in question, was actually listed as 
including the fourth Doctor, uh, which it didn't. I don't know. That may have been it being a fan edited wiki. That may have been an assumption someone made on the basis that K9 was in it. Right, um, yeah. But um, but yeah, so clearly like that is of, of the mistakes that are going to come up in this novel. Yeah. That I think is one of the understandable ones. And it is probably much... M.G. Harris is probably much healthier for not knowing the details of the phone game. So, I yeah, think so. I think in terms of which Doctors have and haven't been included, I don't think there's much more in it than Penguin drew straws and got nine and two. Though it would have been nice It would have been nice to see Fugitive Doctor, definitely. It, it definitely would have been. Uh, but uh, alas... Um, so we're we're still we're still on the ski chase. Uh, <laughs> turns out that yes, it's a it's a ski chase assassination, but it isn't actually because there's a bloody great asteroid heading for the planet that they're on. <laughs> um, at this point, I would I would like to say, um, and well, you touched on it earlier. One thing that is nice about the written material and having more space to focus on Doom. More Terry jokes. Yes. Terry has unfortunately been rather absent from these last few pieces of media, so it's great to see her back. Oh, right, because I assumed, because I've only read hour one, and so going mm. into that, I was like, wow, we're really, we're really hammering Terry in, in this. <laughs> in this. So, so Terry was like, in the comics, vaguely as kind of like her assignment messages. Yes. Right. But apart from that, we haven't really come to Terry in a while. So I quite enjoyed that. But yeah, I can see if you're going straight from our one, it is a bit like we have one joke. I think it's a good joke. I was thinking, wow, um, give Terry a break. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I wonder if Terry's going to turn out to be the mastermind behind all of what's going on. You know, maybe. I, I genuinely thought for a moment you were going to say, I wonder if Terry's going to turn out to be the master. Um, <laughs> for context, we did watch the demons last night. Um, yeah. But like, um, yeah, you know, never say never. What would Terry be an anagram of? It's got to be a really terrible anagram. Um, terrible. It's short for terrible, master. I, 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 Missy's already been in this. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen. I, I, I think. I think you're. I think you're barking up the wrong tree here. <laughs> um, speaking of like references back to Al One, um, I I'm not sure if this is a mystery that's like been deliberately ambiguous or if I'm just missing something but like why is it that doom specifically has to find the first doctor because presumably not explained oh okay <laughs> and in fact up until up until uh the reveal at the end um where patrick troughton says like oh he wrote about you in his diary it wasn't actually clear specifically which doctor she was looking for right in our one, uh, the relevant incarnation is described as an old man, which obviously narrows it down somewhat. Hartnell was definitely in the running, right, yeah. but not necessarily the only one in the running. This um, extraction point does confirm that it's Hartnell. Yes. Why? We don't know. In, in the plot, this is kind of skipping ahead, but yeah, basically... Ski chase, asteroids. I'm, I'm admiring your yes. commitment to making us follow the plot. I'm so I am, sorry. Look, I, um, <laughs> yes, there was a plot, wasn't there? You know. I'm trying. <laughs> Ski chase, asteroids. Uh, then she goes into like an ice tunnel for a bit, fights more androids. Get, death turns up again. Yeah, That's death, nice. Death you haven't seen him in a while yeah. either. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yes, what, what I wanted to pull out here is uh, Doom actually asks... Uh, the Ninth Doctor, whether he would help her, and he does recognize that she's met a previous incarnation of of uh, of himself of the Doctor. Uh, but he says, "Yeah, thing is, the other me wouldn't appreciate this me getting involved." Right. So I think there's there's a certain element of 
she's looking for the right doctor because all the other doctors are mm -hmm. possibly reluctant to interfere in each other's timelines. And that certainly right. ties into uh that certainly ties in well with uh the bit of the DWM supplement that Six was in yeah. because he has a very again it's much more compressed but he has quite a similar reaction of like oh I'm sorry I can't help you. Right, okay. That's that's I, I well I assume that's like the overarching sort of mystery of the of the event but I I'm a little bit puzzled as to to why it specifically has to be the first doctor so I don't know if this is uh, a product of like this series being very rooted in cameos and oh there's this person and this person and we're gonna tick off all the doctors but it really the series as a whole really does seem to treat the doctors as different people in mm -hmm. a way that that certainly the television show really tries to to get away from um actually i would say that you know again i i apologize for jumping ahead in the plot but um <laughs> i would say that actually the second doctor's comments about his predecessor are probably the closest we've got to like this is all one doctor um, yeah. but yeah it's not it's not explained and i think that is deliberate right yeah i think so yeah it's very cameo centric it's very power of the doctor now i think of it it's very lots of uh you know lots of oh i remember that thing from that episode uh, how, how how long did we get before chimnal criticism uh 40 minutes maybe not because we were recording half an hour yeah it's not bad going but yeah i, to I totally it's get what you mean i totally get what you mean yeah. <laughs> um, i i totally get what you mean uh, and i wonder if that's just sort of something that is naturally going to just happen in spin-off media now. Is that the, the Doctor Who has gotten so big that you know it, you now need multiple books and comics and stuff to try and fit everything in? I think there are ways. Going back to the cameo thing, I think there are ways of doing it well. Mm. Um, like actually, you know, extraction point. Certainly, there's a question around like um, your expectations going in. I know that coming into this relatively fresh. Um, you were hoping for it, it. The cover does kind of imply that it's a big doom and nine and two all stand together and face off uh, in a way that doesn't really happen. Um, but like what the novel does give is it's kind of very spaced out. It's it gives enough. It gives the characters enough room to breathe, I think, in a way that some aspects of this uh, series haven't. And in a way that the power of the doctor does. I mean, a lot of the cameos are very much kind of crammed in at the end so it's sort of a deliberate feature but it's sort of yeah very crammed in yeah i suppose this feels more like a ninth doctor novel that like the second doctor just sort of wanders into randomly at the end so like i guess what did you two think of that because obviously the slivina the big baddies sorry to the crawls yes. and then um <laughs> uh, and then there's a good chunk of this story which is set on satellite five so like what did you two make of that i definitely had a, a similar impression of like yeah this is a ninth doctor novel that doom has wandered into and that the second doctor wanders into at the end um i have to admit i'm i was surprised um by how little they use the doctors although i think for me coming out coming out of some of the other doomsday media i thought that was a good thing personally yeah. Um, I did groan a little bit when you get nine showing up at the end of the uh the first section, the first hour, and he does the whole like, oh, nice to meet you, peripheral. I love that like you can hear him on yes. the page <laughs> yeah. with the night. It's such a strong character. Like it's just immediate. I I really yeah, love very, that very much. At least on at least on this one, 
Uh, MG Harris definitely nailed that particular character, the the, the, the mannerisms of uh, of Nine. And then I did get quite frustrated uh, at this point in the novel because it looked like there was a big mystery. And then Doom had to go to next location. And I was like, oh, not again. Yeah, so- the whole thing. And then, to be fair, the next location, which is Satellite 5, does eventually pick up that story. Yes. But I was so- really worried it wouldn't. So, um- plot-wise, wh- where we are is that it turns out that this is all a uh, simulation. Not mm-hmm. a computer simulation. It's a very real simulation, which I'm reliably informed by uh, Doctor Who uh, Doomsday Extraction Point that the Kral uh, are basically masters of building these massive planet-scale simulations. Yeah, in the Android invasion, they're simulating an English village for no real reason. <laughs> There's a character, Stalgan. He's the target of uh, of Doom's uh, assassination job. Uh, in, am I in right in side. thinking, by the way, that there's a character of a very similar name in the Android Invasion? Um, um, I, I think there might be. It's been a while since yeah, I've seen now it. My, but... my, now you're testing my memories of the Android okay. Invasion. I just um, remember. Okay, we, all... we also remember, for some reason, the baddies in that call the Doctor a libertarian at one point, which is very Oh, wow. Which is I, very I'll be fun, honest, but... the, the main thing I remember, I had to look up the quarrels, the main thing I remember is it's the one where the calendar all has the same date on it, isn't it? Yes, and there is also the very funny, There is a, it is a very classic, like unintentionally funny, which is, They've got the doctor tied up, and the doctor says uh, something's going to go wrong with your plan. And the villain shouts, "Nothing will go wrong!" And then the next scene is something going wrong. It's a mood. It's a mood. It is a mood. Um, But yes, um, Stalgan was a planetary scientist, planetary engineer, that type of person. Um, Essentially, uh, the simulation was meant to uh, test the theory that a particular spaceship is able to repulse the asteroid, saving uh, the homeworld of whoever actually paid for for the simulation, be it Stalgan himself or or his paymasters. Yes. I think this is getting at the fact that all of this is very convoluted for what is quite a standard Doctor Who plot, which is that there are two factions warring. I, (laughs) I, I think, like, once you get to that bit, it simplifies it a lot. But the lead up is super confusing. So we get to 13 hours, 12 o'clock. Yes. Um, Doom is dumped on Satellite 5, uh, obviously a famous uh, location in Christopher Eccleston's series. But Satellite 5 in a very far future. Yes. Um, and at this point, uh, basically, she her assignment is she has to assassinate a ghost there's some description of like the characteristics that make up a ghost it's not initially clear who that person is um but it essentially well actually it essentially yeah turns out as you said to be um the son of i think a cad and a mad yes Mm. Uh, the cad and the mads are two warring factions on the planet faster that is in real life being threatened by an asteroid well like in real life, in real Doom's life, <laughs> yes. there's lots of different simulations and fictions going on here. Yes. Um, it's it's, it's all an inception th- nonsense. <laughs> um, so, like, it is being threatened by an asteroid, and basically, one side wants to, like, basically thinks for religious reasons that they need to accept their fate, and the other side thinks that they should do something about being killed. 
And I've actually got here religious disputes, brackets, something for Will. Um, is there anything you can do to link this to the Rings of Akaten? I mean, it is, it is kind of... Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I one, one thing that I did sort of roll my eyes out a little bit is that the mads and the cats ho-ho uh, nominative determinism. But, um, you know, I do... Mm-hmm. I It is a very standard, like, plot... Uh, set up for a Doctor Who story, which is that there are some religious fundamentalists arguing with some sort of nice rational people who are maybe a bit, go a bit too far, who are cads about it, you might say. And so mm. it, it kind of feels like the sort of setup that, uh, the, well, that I argue the, the Rings of Akaten is kind of about complicating and sort of uh, subverting a little bit. And so it, I do think that aspect of the plot is very standard and the uh, sort of the satire of religious fundamentalists, because obviously there's the, uh, uh, the the Mads, I believe it is, argue that, you know, this is divine punishment for the way society has been ordered. It's obviously taking taking pot shots at quite an easy target in real life, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, that element I thought was was quite quite straightforward. But one thing that I was very struck by was I think this is the first Doctor Who book to be a, to reference stochastic terrorism, which is a very <laughs> is a very strange <laughs> phrase to come across in a in a Doctor Who yeah. book for children, you know. It's it's full of these strange bits. Um, for example, I, I did not expect a reference to the bloody Panama Papers in my Doctor <laughs> Who Doomsday novel. That's fair, but the company named Slavine, Slavine and Slavine is very funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's another quote in this section uh, that I've picked out um, where I think, again, Doom's internal mo- monologue kind of goes back towards moping about imminent death mm-hmm. and what happened in New Venice. And she talks about pesky future me post poking her weapon where it's not wanted and i wasn't sure whether that was supposed to be an implication that like did doom after new venice then travel back in time to try and prevent what happened in new venice from happening or it could also because this is obviously a wibbly wobbly time you <laughs> series it could just be a simple reference back to new venice might be what happened in New Venice might be after the year 200,003, which is where she is at this time on Satellite 5. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that, but I think it does get at one criticism I have of this novel, which is that it's, and this isn't even necessarily M.G. Harris's fault, but the thing is drowning in exposition. Like, it's, mm. it's we're co- I feel like the story is constantly stopping, and I think the Satellite 5 section kind of is one of the worst offenders in this which is she goes to a computer and says computer can you explain what a ghost is and then and then she breaks off and then goes back to the computer yes and then arguably like so the kind of the resolution of this part of the story is that basically the ghost um the you know so-called ghost is essentially a data backup of uh this this young man um who then very helpfully explains the entire warring factions and all of that plot, um, which is very helpful because it's been very convoluted up until this point. Yes. But, but yes, it is very much another example of, of what you're describing. Yeah, so that, that, whole, that whole sequence is uh, certainly, again, kind of stretching the definition of assassination because <laughs> the, the, the actual assassination, like there, there's a whole faint thing where uh 
Doom would assassinate the ghost as part of a reality TV show. Yes. Uh, turns out that the, the reality TV show was controlled by some Slidine or other, uh, and she was actually the target of a very unfortunate uh, TV accident. Um, I I think, like in in the end, after um, after basically setting up the next part. Because uh, let's face it, this is this is the entire thing of uh, you know we've we've learned some information, we've learned some more information. Time to set up the actual you know arc of of the story. Two parts in, because why not? Yeah. Um, but that sort of thing does happen when when you spend the first part of your book on a massive uh, <laughs> chase sequence. So right at the end, um, you have. Nine, nine's back, and that takes us into 12 hours. Yes, they, they go to the asteroid. And oh, then... it's the asteroid, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I don't. I was doing a lot of reading on the commute. I don't have tons of notes. Yeah. Other than just to say that, like, yeah, the, the, the Ninth Doctor's character is written very well in this. Yeah. I think the whole asteroid bit was, honestly, that felt to me the most, like, filler. Mm. Um We've certainly got some some of the mads. Yeah, it's just oh no, there are some cockroaches. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a big sort of confront confrontation at the end with a with sort of a big peace conference that I don't think the second Doctor actually does very much at, uh, or I don't we don't get very much of him. You know? After the um the part with the uh, the asteroid and and Cat, uh, who is the the main other character in there, that kind of. Does she turn out? I think she's a Slitheen. Yes, I think she, turns out, a she turns out to be to, uh, as a Slitheen. I think the the only memorable part of that section was that the Doctor uh, gives Doom a lift to uh, Earth. I think two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yes. yes. I, I, to a I've Starbucks. got to say, I think the Starbucks chapter is the start of the eleven hour section. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the end of the twelve hour section is the Doctor like begging Doom to come with him and Doom being like, no, I have to go to next location. Don't you know how the structure of the series works? <laughs> and I have to say, I really liked to see finally a change from the go to next location format yes. when actually Doom says, no, no, I, I, I will come with you. Yeah. yeah. She does go to next location the chapter after that. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's something. The, the Doctor um, taking Doom to Starbucks is probably my favourite bit in the novel it's it's yeah it's, that's, it's, that's a very sweet moment yeah it's really cute and i really like the uh sort of the observation that uh, doom is like weirded out by coffee made with cow's milk that's that's a really funny <laughs> sort of way of showing the different society she comes from and like yeah all the jokes about uh you know sort of the conspiracy theories that are out there about the slovene and things that was that was all really fun i i kind of want to read a whole book like uh, like the cafe scene in Remembrance of the Daleks, you know, I kind of want yeah, a whole episode absolutely. that's just like the Doctor and just chatting to people in a coffee shop. I would I would read that, you know. Absolutely, um, but alas, that is not the format of Doomsday. No. So Doom does have to go to next location, and it's back to Vasta, uh, the real one this time, where there is essentially some sort of peace conference for elites who want to kind of do as little as possible peace conference yeah. yes. about what to do with the impending asteroid and essentially this is where Doom discovers 
The Selene have appeal have, have appeared to have killed both Mad and Cad leaders. They're now posing as like the Vastan savior. They want to get the Vastan delegates, these elite people, off world. Um, and it's all essentially a, a cover um, because Sladine are mining this planet to death and they want to use the asteroid as like a cover for that. What I noted here is that Doom, while it is very exposition heavy, Doom does get to gradually find this out for herself yes. rather than in the rather than the usual thing of her being info dumped at by whichever cameo it is this week. Yes, that's that is a nice change of place. I also like sort of the weird idea that both both uh, alien leaders are like recording hateful YouTube videos, which are then being put out into the universe. And um, again, some commentary is being made. Yes, yes. it is very. Uh, yeah, it is. I don't know. It's, it feels weird. That, and I guess this is just the sign that I'm getting old. It feels weird that sort of horrible reactionary YouTubers are sort of uh, enough a part yeah. of the culture now that they can be used for this sort of thing. You know, it it does it does also add to the vibe that perhaps some significant parts of this, uh, you know, were basically just in M.G. Harris's notebooks since about 2016. <laughs> yes, I suppose so. Yeah, it does feel very... Uh, yeah, there, there is a... There is a... Sort of... Uh, there is definitely uh, a datedness to some of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so then, uh, I know we have talked about this quite a lot already, but... Right at the end, the second Doctor shows up and there's a line I've written down here that touches on uh, part of our conversation earlier where Doom thinks to herself, would this Doctor help? And I mean, Philip, that does kind of link into, yes, what you were saying earlier about like, maybe the reason she has to go to Hartnell is because nobody else is willing to interfere. Yeah. Which is odd because it's not like the Doctor is against interfering generally. You know, if anything... Hartnell is the least likely Doctor to interfere. It's strange. Well, this is the season 6B Doctor, uh, who has just been very heavily punished for interfering, so maybe he sees differently. And, and by the way, I... Yeah, well, some of the, I guess, more niche Doctor Who references in this did go over my head. That one did not. I see you, M.G. Harris. I, I applaud you for what you're doing. Well, I mean, yeah, season 6B is it's oddly prescient, right? It's, it's very strange that now in, in Doctor Who, there are now two times when the Doctor was a time-travelling secret agent for the CIA. That's, that's very odd. Which, which, again, like, does make it all the more depressing that this isn't Joe Martin's Doctor. Oh. Mm. Again, I, I suppose it's probably a product of the fact that Penguin drew straws and it was nine and two. Yeah. And then they worked in the season six B thing based on that. Um but yeah, Joe Martin's yeah. doctor would have fit very well. I here. mean, I, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna get, you know, real life image and likeness deals get get into this. I, I still think they should have figured out a way to make this Ruth Doc or another incarnation that perhaps wasn't one of the TV doctors, but was more clearly a division era doctor. I guess I guess the thing with the division is like we don't know how many incarnations the doctor had during that time. Yeah. So you could literally just make up a new doctor and be like, uh, something, something division, something, something timeless child. Then again, yeah. you couldn't, uh, to be cynical about it, you couldn't slap 
uh, Patrick Troughton's face on it and, and get, no, get, that's uh, also true. Yeah. get the extra sale you would get out of that. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> one, one sale. <laughs> that was me. There are dozens it was of us. us. There are dozens of us Patrick Troughton season 6B fans out there. Dozens. Uh, and then it transpires that it was the Slitheen who commissioned Doom's first assignment in the novel, which for those of you playing along at home is to kill the guy who was running the simulation about the asteroid. Well, first and second, right? Because she also needed to kill the data ghost. Yes, and, yeah. and presumably the idea was to try and suppress all the evidence gathered by either of the either of the experiments um, that both the Kaz and the Mads commissioned. Because um, I, I think the, the sort of point that, yeah, in, in the slightly forgettable part three of, of this novel, um, the Mads were also trying to gather data uh, to show that actually the asteroid impacting Vasta would not cause total devastation. It would only be partial and therefore uh, something, something we should allow it because <laughs> ideology. Yes. Uh, by the way, am I right in thinking that because uh, um, the, the, the metal that the Slovene are trying to mine, um, the second doctor says, oh, it's for... Uh, a, a set of a race that wanted to make their armor invincible. That's that's the Daleks, right? Like, and the Daleks are gonna show oh, up. I I had not thought about that, but given all of the deep cuts, yeah. that would fit. I think. Right. Yeah. I I would not be surprised if the Daleks turned up at some point in the audience, perhaps in the big finish. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um. So something else that I've noted here. Um, about this kind of revelation that the Slitheen were basically paying Doom to do the first half of this novel right. is that after a lot of the kind of stuff we've been talking about, about trying to make an assassin the hero, there's been lots of jumping hoops throughout both this novel and the wider series of like, you know, just twisting things a lot so Doom still gets to be the hero. So it's quite refreshing to see this like, Oh, Doom, turns out you were fully doing the bad guy's dirty work for the yeah. vast majority of this novel. Um, and there is a nice redemption arc where she decides to stay and help after her job is complete uh, with death hot on her heels. Um, there's a nice... Rede- so I, re- I really like that element of it. I, I very much enjoyed that. Do you know what, what else I, I really enjoyed in, in the second part that she actually got to uh, have, a, have a little break and uh, do a karaoke? Yes. Yes, I was disappointed that she didn't do Let It Go, which was put, put down as an option. But, you know, they would have never got the rights, you know. Um, no. Although, so that is an odd thing. I don't know. It, it, it feels like an odd thing to do in a book. It's like karaoke of a made-up song. I feel like I, you know, that's the sort of thing you do in, like, an audio. Like, I know Big Finish... When you can done, hear the song. Yes, when yes. you can hear the song, you know. like Because um, I know Big Finish have done some musical audios and, and things like that. So, like, that might have been mm. that might have been cool. So I'm not sure why why they did that in the book but yes i do like the idea of the bits where doom is like getting some downtime i think are reliably like the best parts of the novel and i do think that yeah i do think that that's something that's uh like mg harris like puts together like quite a good sort of action thriller type thing but i i do feel like uh that's not necessarily uh the strength of a doctor who story you know mm-hmm. yeah i i have to say because i know that like 
when you know you do you have discussions like these it's very easy to like pull everything apart um i have to say i did enjoy extraction point much more than a lot of the doomsday i've experienced so far i don't know how much of that because i like basically read out one and decided to do this podcast uh famous last words (laughs) but like (laughs) so maybe it's just a personal thing that i just like the written material more um but i have to say i really enjoyed it for a lot of the reasons um that you know you've talked about doom has space to yeah have downtime have an internal monologue because the series as a whole is so compressed and also so cameo heavy there has very much been a feeling of like doom arrives doom meets cameo cameo info dumps the exposition Doom might get to do an assassination for half a page, but then it's time to go to the next location. Right. So mm-hmm. this is just by nature, its format different from that in a way that I really enjoy. And I hope the same will be true of the audios. Um, that it remains, it remains to be seen. Yeah. Certainly the BBC audio uh, for from Doomsday. Love that title, by the way, yeah. uh, for from Doomsday series seems to be four standalone stories but i uh we haven't had a chance to listen to that yet so i don't know yeah it uh, it also would be interesting to see because for from doomsday is is more of a sort of prequel material right so we we get some uh some insight into what doom might have been like before uh she got involved with the whole 24 project of gotta go to the next location or else the literal death gets her yes um my understanding uh from again thinking back to the doctor who magazine piece is that all of the writers uh involved were told this mystery like what's happened to doom and who she's looking for and why um, they're obviously not allowed to reveal it until uh, James yeah. Goss's triumphant return in uh, our 24 final hour, the, the last one. Yes. Uh, that's going to be a short story. I actually, yeah. hang on, I because I, I also I also wanted to to mention. Uh, I think yeah, on the whole, I also enjoyed mm-hmm. the 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 book. I, I I enjoyed the obviously like it's it's a fairly competent. Uh, thriller. It's a fairly competent sort of sci-fi novel. Uh, few copy editing errors here and there. Uh, oh, don't oh, worry. You never, you never really got into that. I have notes. I have several notes. Okay. <laughs> now it's time. Now it's time to get into that. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, well, this is, uh, and I should, I should uh, disclose at this point that I am a copy editor in like my day in like my day job and uh, if you take nothing else away from this podcast it's that if you become a copy editor professionally you will never read a book normally again you will you will always <laughs> you will always spot like the most irritating stuff that that will, that will so totally sorry. ruin any and all books for you although you do get the weird satisfaction of spotting mistakes that other people have missed so you know it swings around about but um yeah i do i agree with you that like like the novel is like fun and it's like a pretty competent action adventure mm-hmm. but like there are a lot of I, I did spot a lot of like typos and weird mistakes which i think do speak to um as fun as the book is i do think it does feel like a rush job and i do think there is an i did find like a slightly odd tonal 
thing. It's like, you know, we're on the run from death. And so this gives it a slightly Terry Pratchett vibe. And there's lots of, there's lots of jokes and like about half of them land, like references to Jeopardy. And uh, there's one thing that I wrote down here, which is uh, the idea that ghost is like an offensive term and like the order consider themselves death positive, which I did just read and think, okay, boomer. But um, there's also a bunch of, uh, speaking to what you're talking about at the start, Jordan, there are, there are some odd elements of pronoun slippage. Like there are several times when Doom is chasing after a male target and they start being referred to as she rather than he. It's very strange. And then... Hmm. And I, I think like a lot of those kinds of sections are so sort of rushed as well that you can't always tell. So I think, because I didn't spot any of that. So like, I think in my head, my I must have just rationalised it as, oh, I must have got confused in this very confusing passage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of very confusing passages. And I think uh, the one that I, uh, you know, moaned to you two about in chat before before we got on this podcast is um at the end of part one there is a very strange thing where doom is like walking down a corridor and it says she bumped into a man and then the next paragraph is the tardis lands and then the following paragraph is that the doctor comes out of the tardis and doom seems to bump into him again um which was a vet which was a moment where i could really feel like my red pen needing to come out. It's just like, <laughs> this is like, because it's one thing to do a continuity error on television, yeah. but like a continuity error in prose is like a very, it's a very strange occurrence. And I think, I think that speaks to, uh, I did have fun with it. And certainly when you're in bed with a cold, is generally a good time for like a fun Doctor Who mm-hmm. book. But I think the, uh, yeah, there, there is a, there is like a, I don't know. I think this does feel rushed. This does feel, like the typos and the the copy editing problems i think speak to a larger sense that this doesn't feel terribly thought through like i I don't think doom doom doesn't really come through terribly strongly as a character and i think the whole thing does feel a bit a bit hollow you know like it feels a bit like it's not it's not quite all there and i think you know a bit more time to workshop the character or even just the presence of Suze Kempner, I think, would, would pay for over a yeah, lot of Yeah, I was, I, was, I was just thinking, one thing um, that I'm not sure you talked about yet, uh, Philip, I think you touched on it briefly mm. earlier, because Suze Kempner hasn't had the chance to act yet outside of the like trailer videos, which are almost all, ah, X hours to go, <laughs> I have to find the Doctor, uh, cut. Um, but then... She hasn't had the chance to do much yet. And that means you're trying to read, like, for example, you read the word run in speech marks. You know who that is. <laughs> mm. You know how he's saying it. You know how he's moving as he's saying it. Yes. You don't have any of that with Doom just because we don't have that context. And I obviously audios and so on presumably are a lot longer and more complicated to produce because of the number of people you need uh, physically present who of course have lots of other projects going on and so on but like not leading with the audios i think is really one of the downfalls of of this series because part of me is thinking like well if you start from when four from doomsday was released which was 24th of august you know you could if you started with that you could be done in time for christmas <laughs> but it would be overlapping with yeah. um 60th anniversary specials mm-hmm. so i assume the reason they've made this the decision to produce it in the way they have 
is that they absolutely had to have this wrapped up in a way that did not clash with uh, David Tennant promotion. Yeah, it, it does feel like part of uh, that you can feel, and you know, this is uh, sort of inevitable with you know any Doctor Who these days or any sort of mm-hmm. big media property. But like, you you can feel like the brand managers in the background of this of this project. You know. Yeah. Um, and like. One thing that I have found interesting and depressing, um, and well, I, I don't know how much you've seen of this because I don't, I don't think you've really talked about it. Um, those now, those those trailer videos clearly have flaws, <laughs> and yes. I am literally part of a podcast where we just like criticize Doomsday all day long. Yes. But like the vitriol of those comment sections. Um, of such as like it's the usual thing of like people who don't care so much that they have to comment <laughs> about the fact that they don't care that only seems to happen when it's female led mm. and it's like it's quite depressing because it's like no 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 take the piss out of this but not like that like <laughs> well, it's yeah I mean I, I have this uh, this is sort of how I feel as someone who was uh, very excited mm. by Jodie Whittaker and then very disappointed in the eventual episodes. It's like, you know, the the vitriol. I haven't uh, paid attention to like the reception of Doomsday particularly, but uh, <laughs> don't don't don't, <laughs> no. don't do it. But, um, but I know what you mean in terms of you know uh, the 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 Jodie Whittaker era on television. Like a lot to criticise, but also a lot of just misogyny just locked at that show for you know mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. unfairly and so yeah i i know the sort of the line you're talking about and it's like a very odd one to have to walk and like quite a depressing one to have to walk whether it's about this or about you know uh the ghostbusters sequel or whatever you know yeah yeah um i guess i guess you know in, in you could make an argument that the choice to make those trailers kind of you know, slightly shonky is a deliberate one. Um, <laughs> you could make the argument that uh, it was actually, you know, obviously Suze Kempner being uh, a, a comedian, uh, an actress, she probably already had all the equipment, which these days is a camera and a green screen. But also like, um, well, you mentioned um, Alistair Beckett King earlier, yeah. who was a similar kind of YouTube comedian, like... It's worth noting that Suze Kempner's day job is doing that kind of setup and yeah. doing funny videos. Uh. So I can kind of I can kind of see why they've done that. However, it's really difficult to judge when we this far in, like 14 hours into Doom's 24 hours of mm-hmm. Doomsday, yeah. um, we still don't have any actual material with Suze Kempner in it. Yeah, well, we do. We haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. We've had it for three days. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's just such a shame that that yeah. is lacking. Yeah, and it's, it's odd because, you know, plenty of, there's been plenty of uh, minisodes in Doctor Who. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I remember the Matt Smith uh, series six, mm-hmm. they had a little, they had minisodes for every episode. Something and that like was, that, yeah. that was really cool. Obviously they had a bit more budget, but like, I mean, you know, Plenty of people on YouTube doing really funny videos like that that are like a minute or two minutes long and just I feel like Again, like Alistair Beckett yes, King. Yes, or you know, well, or, I mean, or... like like Suze Kempner. Yeah. Like, this isn't a <laughs> like I think we should point out this is not a criticism 
of her. No, yeah. no, not at I all. don't think she. I don't think she's written the Doctor Who trailer. Oh, no, definitely. No, I, yeah. I think what I'm saying um, is maybe. No, I'm, I'm just. I'm just referencing the fact mm-hmm. that uh, Alistair Becker King do, literally yeah. did a Doctor Who video at some yeah. point. Maybe they, it maybe is they should possible have to do this well. Maybe yeah. they should have let her write them. It's just. Yeah, it feels. Yeah. yeah. Like obviously, this is all you know, product and marketing and stuff. But it's possible yeah. to do even in Doctor Who land. Those like Blu-ray trailers show that it's possible to you know to like put some real care and effort into it and it just doesn't feel like it's there for for this project yeah again thinking about like now that you've brought it up it seems like a no-brainer to have Suze Kempner who writes comedy write some comedy (laughs) however this this brings us like takes us right back to the beginning uh where Doom was a man uh, late in the day enough that Penguin forgot to change it. Mm-hmm. So whether, you know, we don't know what the situation is with class casting, whether they did kind of gender-blind auditions or whether there was a decision to say, like, you know, oh, Suze Kempner's good, let's cast her. Um, but clearly what that means is she was brought in late on in the production such that it was sort of all the character and everything was sort of already there and she just had to say her lines. Also, thinking about the writing of this novel and other points, it means that the chances are Harris was trying to write a novel before there was a person for Doom, like before Doom has been cast. And when you think about, obviously this being a TV series adaptation, when you think about what those performances from, you know, Christopher Eccleston, Patrick Troughton, Michelle Gomez, going back to the Titan comics, yeah. if you think about how much those performances help to bring those characters to life, even in kind of um, paper form, having to having to write that before there has been a casting and potentially before there has been a firm decision made about, like, basic things like gender... Yes is such a difficult Mm -hmm. job. And I think potentially that maybe explains some of the points you mentioned, Will, around Doom's character being quite flimsy. Yeah, Yeah. and I think think you can definitely feel the the, the circumstances in which it was made. And I feel like Mm -hmm. my... my, Yeah, I I think just there just hasn't been enough time or enough oversight or enough enough effort given to this to really to really try and transcend that limitation i think is is what i'm getting at really and yeah and this you know this isn't bad this is certainly uh i found this a lot more approachable than the bits of time Lord victorious that i yeah, that i encountered but i think there's still i do think yeah i do find the the sort of marketing logic behind these multimedia events a bit distasteful and i think if you're going to do them they're still there's still a bit of room for improvement, let's say. Yeah, and there is, like, thinking, you know, going back to kind of, again, the uh, the sort of the misogynist undercurrents, overcurrents of some of the social media reaction yes. to this. Like, there is something to be said about doing a, a sort of rush job series, um, deciding to be very, very progressive and cast a woman, and essentially you're throwing, like... Knowing that it's a rush job and throwing them to the social media wolves is like, it's it's an interesting one. Like, I don't know what the solution to that is, but I think particularly coming, after, coming out of, uh, you know, the Jodie Whittaker, Chris Chibnall era, and I, I would have thought that lessons would have been learned from that. And I'm not, again, 
I'm glad that I'm not in that position, but it mm-hmm. is, you know... Of course, really cynically, you could think that they've probably got more engagement from the uh, misogyny comments than they would have done otherwise, because I'm not sure yeah. it's it's done its job of, I guess, engaging people in ways that are not that. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a depressing one to, to navigate. Yeah, I just, I hope... If they ever bring Suze Kentner back, I just I think just a bit more time and care, I think, would yeah. really make yeah, this more definitely. interesting. And there's certainly scope. Yeah, you know, put her in... She'll, she's already... Put her in redacted. She's already... Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Possibly. I mean, she's already going to be in the Big Finish universe. Yeah. So, like, you know, hopefully if that um, if that is a good experience and, like, I certainly think there are interesting things about Doom. I think this can be done well. But, yeah, I think, unfortunately her creation as part of this very rush job let's get an extended universe media thing out right now and finish it before david tennant takes over yeah like um yeah but i i do think you know there are elements of this that have great potential and i definitely really enjoyed enjoyed this novel as well do do you know what though um for, for all its faults i still think this is a better novel than the bloody night agent So so basically, this spring, um, we watched the Netflix series The Night Agent, right. which we really enjoyed. It's basically like... So it's, it's a Jason Bourne, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a like spy thriller right. about the White House and a guy who mans the phones but ends up being a main character in a spy thriller. And it's like not necessarily the most groundbreaking thing in the world, but like it's, it's enjoyable. I discovered... That the night agent is an adaptation of a novel, right? Yeah. Which we were immediately like, okay, this is <laughs> this is going to be quite something. We've got to read this novel. The plot does diverge quite considerably, but there's a lot. There's just a lot of filler and a lot of like uh, our protagonist is walking down the street. He is thinking about some exposition. <laughs> we're going to tell you, like, yes. Whereas I think this does. This I mean, this avoids it entirely. I mean, this partly goes... because it's like mostly action, apart yeah. from like some genuinely nice and poignant Th- bits. This, if anything, goes too far the other yeah. way. It's too fast paced, <laughs> right, but yeah. I definitely really enjoyed it a lot. Um, so yeah, Will, um, thank you so much. My pleasure. Where um, can people find you? Do you wish to be found? Uh, thanks. This has been uh, a lovely time and uh, a very, very fun discussion. Uh, you can find me online. I have a blog. It's williamshawwriter.wordpress.com. Uh, hasn't been updated for a while, but uh, I want to update it soon. So watch this space. Uh, I'm at will underscore s underscore seven on Twitter for as long as that is still relevant. And uh, I'm also William Shaw on uh, Blue Sky. So come and find me over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, uh, the the Black Archive on the Rings of Akaten is presumably still available. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Uh, so yeah, so if you uh, if you enjoyed me rambling about Doctor Who uh, on this podcast, why not uh, buy my book and uh, read me rambling at great length about uh, the Matt Smith episode, The Rings of Akaten. Uh, that's the Black Archive number 42. Uh, it's available from Obverse Books. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's probably my probably my best uh, Doctor Who related work. Um, so we've read def- it; it's very good. Oh, well, thanks very much. I am Mind the Flap on most social media places and 
forget to post on most of them. <laughs> um, I also have a blog, mindtheflap.wordpress.com, which I also uh, update fairly irregularly and would like to get back into um, at some point. Uh, Philip? Yes. Uh, so I make music. Um, I uh, make music with Georgia, uh, releasing as Philip Wheeland on Spotify and uh, most other music platforms. Um, I am at Minkowski on the website formerly known as Twitter, uh, at FTW on Blue Sky, and at FTW at tilde.zone on Mastodon. Uh, all of those links will be in the show notes. Um, and music uh, on this podcast is by the amazing Philip Wheeland. Um, artwork by Sam Chowner-Hearn, uh, who uh, we'll be speaking to you about Lost in Time or about anything but Lost in Time <laughs> right. um, we'll see. after this. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the next thing after this novel. Um, and there was something else I was going to say. Um, music by Philip. Art by Sam. Yes, and we are also um, finally starting to put together transcripts uh, for these podcasts. At the time of recording, uh, transcripts for the first three episodes are available. Um, I'm hoping to catch up as soon as I can, um, but they will also be linked in the description. So the transcripts are kind of in a Google Drive folder that's linked on the podcast website and also on the show notes of each episode. Uh, They are... uh, going to appear sort of slowly as we as we work our way through them fantastic all right well thank you very much for joining us again and we will see you on the next piece of media see you then bye Bye.